Thanks for listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Nick Wirens at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Due to recording problems, a large portion of this week's message is difficult to hear, starting about six minutes in. We're sorry for the inconvenience, and we're working to make sure next week's recording will be crystal clear. Fathers, we come to the end of one of the greatest sections of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount. God, may we heed this warning. Tell us that those who hear your words and don't do them are foolish. So God, we just ask that by the power of your Spirit, we would be wise, that we would hear your words and we would be able to do them for your glory alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, um, Jesus here is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, and when we look at this text, it's, it's interesting because he doesn't exactly end on a high note. He doesn't end with some cute little motivational saying at the end for us to walk away with and, and put on our, our mirrors, um, but he ends with a series of warnings. When we started looking at those warnings last week. Um, we saw three different ones, the warning of the two gates to, to either choose the, the narrow gate and the hard road or the wide, easy road. We saw the warning of the two trees, seeing that um, we can identify a person by their actions, that a good tree always bears good fruit. Then the warning of the two different doers, um, to know that a mere profession of Christ or a mere performance of Christ, it's not enough to be saved, that we must truly know the Lord. Now we turn to the final piece of the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's the warning of of the two houses, or maybe even better, the, the two foundations. Um, Today we'll we'll walk through the text and we'll make some observations before then turning to application. But again, as we saw last week, Jesus warns us with two choices. He sets two different ways of life before us. To listen and follow Jesus and his teaching, or to not listen, or to listen and not follow it. And the parable that he uses, the illustration that he uses is that about two houses, each built on a different foundation. So he begins in verse 24, he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. So Jesus sets before us this ancient path that's been used not only throughout human history, but in a lot of scripture as well. It's the path of wisdom and folly, or the path of of wise living and the path of foolish living. And there are two different ways of being in this world. And this is what we've been saying all along in the Sermon on the Mount. Generally speaking, it's an invitation to practice wisdom. Jesus' invitation is one to practice wisdom, to practice Christ-centered, kingdom-shaped, wise living. And so it's, it's both appropriate and, and revealing that as Jesus ends this um, final discourse here in the Sermon on the Mount, that he's explicitly calling us to be wise. We've been saying this phrase over and over again, the Sermon on the Mount is about how to be a citizen submitted to and shaped by King Jesus. It's how to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, submitted to and shaped by King Jesus. It's a path of hearing and doing God's words. That is the path of wisdom. In the Sermon on the Mount, it's not, it's not the only thing that Jesus has to say, right? We, we have all the gospel teachings, but it's, it's kind of the apex of his teaching. It's a, one of the best summaries of what Jesus is all about. And knowing that, knowing that... Um, this helps us understand a little bit about what wisdom is. Wisdom is, is simply truth lived out. It's truth lived out. And more, specific, more specifically, it's God's truth 
lived out. That's what we see um, all throughout Scripture, right? In Proverbs 9.10, we see the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. So knowing to, knowing and being submitted to King Jesus is the foundation. You hear that? Foundation of wisdom. This is Jesus just picking up the, the literature, tradition, literature, the wisdom literature tradition, um, but he's more specifically locating it in himself. He says, anyone who hears my words and put them to practice is wise. They're, they're smart. They're intelligent. Then he gives us the illustration of the two houses. He says, they are like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now, in Jesus' cultural moment, the, the house, it represented your entire life, okay? It's, it's different than how we view the house, right? Our houses now are just like a place where we go home, we chill, we kick the feet up, watch Friends reruns for hours, right? The houses back then weren't like that. The entire house was your entire life. There's a few differences that we see that, that highlight that. One, houses were multi-generational, so you lived with your parents and grandparents and, and obviously your kids if you had them, right? So the whole family was there. That's an important part of your life. Houses weren't bought and sold, right? So this, this house or the land that you lived on is probably something that's been there for generations. And then another big one is houses were actually business hubs. So whether you were a merchant or a farmer or a fisherman slash woman, right? Your business was run out of your house. So everything was there in your house. And so this illustration that Jesus uses, it packs great weight for us. But even more so for the, um, the original hearers, they would have known and understood that this house represented their entire lives. But we need to see that the, the house isn't the most important thing in this text, right? It's the foundation that it's built upon. Why? Because the foundation is what allows the house to remain stable, and what foundation we build on affects our everyday lives. We know this. We experience this. So the rains and the floods, they represent the final judgment where Jesus will separate those who know him from those who don't. But it also represents the regular struggles that we endure in life. So Jesus then turns his attention to the fool. We saw the wise man that he turns to the fool. He says, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. So the, the word in the original language that's uh, written is moros, okay? Does that sound like anything we, we use today? Moron, right? Okay, that's where we get our word. And really, I think moron packs a little bit more of a punch, right? We hear foolish and we're like, eh, it's not the wisest decision, but it's like not going to kill you. I think if we say moron, right, it's like it's going to pack a little more weight. If we hear Jesus say, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey them is a moron, we're like, Okay, all right now, right? It packs a little more punch to it. I think we need to feel that weight, okay? To hear God's words and to not obey is one of the dumbest decisions we could possibly make. It's destructive, really. Hearing and not doing the teachings of Christ, it's not just like some mildly poor choice, like picking the wrong paint color on your house. It's catastrophic, one's that... One that brings ruin to your house. He says, not, not choosing to hear and obey is like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So notice here in the parable, no, nothing is said about the house itself. Alright? It's not like saying, hey, anybody who builds a craftsman bungalow or a Bedford Stone ranch 
their house will come to ruin. It's only, the issue is only about the type of foundation in this parable. It's only the foundation that one builds upon that affects the final outcome. We also need to notice here that the same storms have fallen on both the wise and the foolish, right? Theologian uh, Dale Bruner, he writes this in his commentary on Matthew. He says, obedience to Jesus' words is not so much protection from troubles as protection in them. Obedience to Jesus' words is not so much protection from troubles or storms as protection in them. Thank thank you, Jesus, right, for recognizing the reality of the human experience. He doesn't say, hey, man, once you come to Christ, all is well, right? It's happy-go-lucky, joy-joy, rainbows and unicorns, okay? He says, no, both wise and foolish will experience sufferings and storms. That's why he says elsewhere, take heart, because you'll have troubles in this life. Rains will fall and floodwaters will rise on both the wise and the foolish. We know that they will both have rains, storms in this life, but also in the final judgment. But the two will fare very differently. Okay? Jesus says that the house built on the faulty foundation will end in a great crash. It will crumble to the ground in a heap, just a pile of rubble. It's a pretty epic way to end a sermon, right? <laughs> it just says, hey, it will end with a mighty crash, and then he walks off stage. Right? That's, again, that's not the Tony Robbins, like, motivational guru speaker that we want. But that's Jesus. He calls us to hear a warning, a really strong warning. So as the Sermon on the Mount ends, okay, that's, that's kind of the end of his teaching there in verse 27, and then there's this little transitional verse that we, we don't want to miss. In verse 28, it says, um, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. You hear that? He taught with real authority. That's because he had real authority. Jesus, the the Son of God, the one who was given all authority, as Colossians says, he's teaching about his commands. He's not pointing back to to the the Torah or the law. He's saying, no, hear and understand and do my teachings. We need need to think about this question of authority. If, If his teaching is authoritative, then we need to take it seriously. If we don't think Jesus has authority, right, then what we do is we just kind of add him to the pantheon of our gods and pick and choose the things we like from Jesus' teaching, from other people, right? But our view of Jesus' authority, it affects how we relate to him and his teachings. If we believe he is authoritative, then we need to hear his words of warning here. So just for the sake of, of staying with us here in the sermon, okay, let's assume his teachings are authoritative. I think Jesus calls us to two applications, two questions that he is beckoning us to to wrestle with. First, um, what foundation are you building your life upon? And then secondly, are you hearing and doing the teachings of Jesus? So the first question, what foundation are you building your life upon? When you think about your house, maybe you own a house, maybe you don't, oftentimes we we don't think about the foundation. Right? There's like two times when you think about it. One when you're buying a house, and the inspector goes through and says, that foundation is bad. 
Or when your foundation is leaking, which it might be right now, right? Like you have so much stinking rain and your sump pump might be broken down, right? Those are the only two times you think about foundations. And even though like sometimes we think about them, the reality is that foundations are actually hard for us to see until a problem arises or presents itself. So two people, they can build the exact same house on different foundations and the outside observer would have no idea until the foundation is put to the test. We don't know when a foundation will be tested, right? But we know, even here in our city, right? It's going to be tested. It's going to rain hard sometimes. It might flood sometimes. And the same is true for us in our foundations. We know that we'll have storms that we'll face in our daily lives. And we sure as heck know that we're going to face final judgment. Those are realities of life. What, what is the foundation upon which the wise man builds? Jesus says it's the one who listens and obeys my words, my teachings. Now many, many commentators, they argue that the wise man builds his foundations on Christ's word, which yes, is absolutely true. But we really need to understand we can't separate the words of Christ from the person of Christ. Y'all hear that? We can't separate the words of Christ from the person of Christ. We hear all the time, like, oh yeah, I think Jesus is a great teacher, but he's not my Lord, or he's not God, right? That's, that's cool, I guess, you know, if, if you think that will end well for you, but you can't do that. You can't say, I think the king's teachings, or the king's commands are good, but I'm not willing to submit to the king. That's not how it works. You can't divorce a person's words from the person himself. So yes, the foundation is certainly Jesus' words, like he says it here, but it's ultimately Jesus himself, who we know is the word. We know Jesus is the word. In John 1.14, we read this, The word, Jesus, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So we build our foundation on Jesus' words, knowing that ultimately it's built on Jesus who is the word. Jesus is truth. Jesus is wisdom. So being wise means building a life and a foundation on him and his personhood. We read this earlier, but it's so good to highlight Proverbs 9.10. It says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Again, the foundation language. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Building your, your life on the solid rock, Jesus, is, is the wise move here. Building our lives on anything else is moronic, and it leads to a great crash. It's the warning that Jesus has for us. Just as we, we saw in last week's test, the way we um, identify a tree is by its fruit. So in other words, we can't really know the genuine faith of a person until we see the fruit of their lives. And the same is true here in the foundation. We can't truly know what a person's life is built upon until we see the house on the other side of the storm, see what's left. It's an important reminder for us because we, we probably have friends or family that we look at, their lives are awesome, right? Got like a great house, great job, great kids, we go to church all the time. But then a lot of times we see and we've experienced that a trial or a test comes and everything falls apart, their lives literally come to ruin. Why is that? Because of a faulty foundation. See again, the, the house, right? The materials of the house are not the point of the story, it's the foundation. 
So somebody can erect this huge, amazing house and someone have a, a hut next to it built on a solid foundation. Even the big mansion will fall on sand. So I share that simply to highlight the reality that a lot of times we may not know what a person's foundation really is. Maybe, maybe not for years or maybe ever. And I think as Christians, we just need to be wary. It's not healthy for us to get in this like house comparison game because we don't truly know upon what foundation somebody's life is built upon. But really, in the parable, it's, it's not even for us to worry about. Right? It's not. You shouldn't walk away and think like, oh, I want Susie's life looks awesome. I wonder what, what her foundation is on. Or the person in the pew next to me, I wonder if they have a foundation of bedrock or sand. You know? That's not the point. Jesus is asking you specifically the question. He's saying, what foundation is your life built upon? Now, I know many in this room are Christians or profess Christ, but I, I just urge you to consider this question. I truly consider it. We saw last week that many will come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, away from me, I didn't, I didn't know you. You did a lot of good stuff, you know, in terms of the world, but you didn't truly know me. These warning passages, they're, they're good for us to hear, right? They shake us up a bit to really, really cause us to take stock of our life and ask, like, what, what am I building on and towards? Again, Dale Bruner, um, he has a really good quote on this. He says, believers need the warnings of Scripture no less than they need the promises. Warnings are not just for other people, for non-Christians or for bad Christians. They are even perhaps especially for serious Christians who, almost by definition, are in danger of pride or smugness. The reality is we are all building our lives on something. So what, what foundation are you building on? Are you building your, your life on, on the foundation of the American dream? It's all about the, the nice house with the picket fence and the 2.5 kids and the dog. Are you building your life on the foundation of, of your career? It's all about climbing the, the corporate ladder, working 80 hours a week until you get to the top. Are you building your life on the foundation of your family, right? Everything revolves around your kids or grandkids being happy, healthy, and well-adjusted. Right? Are you building a foundation even on your, your religiosity, right? It's, it's only built upon the, the good things you do or uh, your church attendance or how much you give. The reality of all those things is, is they're like sand. They, they slip through your fingers, they're temporal things. They're good things, a lot of them, but they're temporal. And if your life is built on them, it will lead to a great crash when they all wash away. The house built on the foundation of the American dream, it comes to a crash when you can't keep up with, with the credit card debt and you have to file for bankruptcy. The house built on your career it comes to a great crash when Humana makes cutbacks and you're laid off. The house even built on family, which is a good thing, comes to a great crash when one of your kids goes off the rails and, and hurts not only themselves, but your family as well. See, the, the temptation, even for us in the church, is to make good things into God things, right? To 
make Cindy Foundation things and try and make them into to rock, bedrock foundation type things. If we build our lives on anything other than Christ and His Word, then at some point, when trials come, whether it's this life, suffering now, or in the final judgment, if we build our lives on anything other than Christ, the whole thing will come crashing down. So what, what foundation are you building your life on? And the second question I think that Jesus is calling us to wrestle with is, are you hearing and doing the teachings of Jesus? Are you hearing and doing the teachings of Jesus? So one of the unique challenges of our cultural moments is that we have divorced hearing from doing. Okay? We have divorced information intake from action. The reason being is we're, we're like inundated with information all the time. There's a, a Forbes article uh, from last year that I read. It says that 90% of data in the world was created in the last two years. 90% of all the data in the world was created in the last two years. It's like information is never stopping coming at you. That's why cultural commentators, right, they call this the information age. Because there's so much information all the time. And this, this non-stop torrent of information, it has its effect on us. There's an author, uh, Neil Postman, he, he's well known for his, uh, his famous work, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Listen to what he says. He says, the tie between information and action has been severed. The tie between information and action has been severed. Hearing and doing has been severed. Information is now a commodity that, commodity that can be bought and sold or used as a form of entertainment or worn like a garment to enhance one's status. It comes indiscriminately, directed at no one in particular, disconnected from usefulness. We are glutted with information, drowning in information, have no control over it, don't know what to do with it. He wrote that in 1985, before the iPhone. Before Twitter and Facebook, before even the internet. And he said then that the tie between information and action had been severed. This barrage of information that we have, even though we may not know it, it affects us deeply. It's created a world in which we can take information in, we can even feel something about that information, right? It can kind of stir us emotionally. But it has all divorced from action. We're used to reading headlines or watching news or just endlessly scrolling through the Twitter feed, taking it in and then not acting. Retweets and likes don't count as acting, y'all. You heard it here first. The reality is that oftentimes we simply can't do anything, right? Like, what are you going to do about the trade war in China? Probably not much. What, what can you do about it? Unless you're in the military, what can you do about a drone being struck down in Iran? Not much. What's happened is our, our news, the information we take in, is disconnected from our, our local reality. Because of that, it's created this disconnect between information and action, between hearing and doing. And that affects how we live. Right? Even in the Christian life, we can be tempted to simply like stand under this waterfall of Christian information, right? It's like you read 30 Desiring God's art, Desiring God articles, and you listen to eight sermon podcasts, you know, and 
Um, you follow Christian leaders on Twitter, right? It's just washing over you. But what are you doing with it? That's exactly what Jesus is setting before us. He says, hey, the difference isn't in hearing, right? Both the wise and the fool, they hear my words. The difference is, are you doing them? Or have you allowed this cultural way of taking in gobs of information to be divorced from any type of action? To do Jesus' words, to obey them, to put them into practice, that's what this whole thing is about. That's what the entire Sermon on the Mount is about. It's about discipleship. It's entering the narrow gate and then walking the difficult road. I mean, we talked about that last week. It's not just like, oh, I got on the other side of the gate and I'm good now. No. It's entering the narrow gate and walking the difficult road. It's showing you're a good tree by producing good fruit. Good trees always bear good fruit. It's hearing and doing the words of Jesus. It's hearing and living the Sermon on the Mount. That is the wise decision. That's what James, Jesus' half-brother, he's getting at in, in the book that he writes. In James 1.22 we read, Don't just listen to God's word. You must obey what it says. Otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. And then in 2.17 he says, So see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. It's only through hearing and doing, the two go together. It's only through hearing and doing that a life is built upon the foundation of Jesus and his words. Hearing is simply not enough. A New Testament scholar, Jonathan Pennington, he's got a great book called The Sermon on the Mount, Human Flourishing. Um, he writes on this, uh, this passage, this is what he says, the call is to put into practice Jesus' teachings. You hear that? The call is to put into Jesus' practice not merely to believe in them, or merely believe in him. This is discipleship, according to Matthew. Disciples are called to a level, a level deeper than cognition, right? Deep, deeper than just this intellectual um, ascent. They're called to a level deeper than cognition by actually doing, practicing his teachings. Now in our Protestant circles, we look at that and we're like, well, wait, isn't that worse righteousness? They're not saying, like, I have to do to earn my salvation. No. It, that, that's just relationships. Right? Think about a friendship. If you're friends with somebody and you do the things they like to do or you talk about the things they like to talk about, you wouldn't say, like, oh, I'm, I'm earning your friendship. Right? So that's what being a good friend is. Same with a marriage. Right? If a spouse loves, cares, and supports the other person, you wouldn't say, like, oh, this spouse is trying to earn their marriage. No, the marriage is signed, sealed, and delivered on their wedding day. And the works that come is just love and, and support born out of the marriage, right? That's what relationships are about. We're not saying that if you do good works, or if you're hearing and doing, and you're building your life on that, that you're earning your salvation. That's not what Jesus is saying here. We know that we're not earning our righteousness. We know that salvation is only accomplished by Jesus. It's only through faith, through faith alone, by grace alone. But a reality of our salvation is that it manifests itself in works that are pleasing to God. True grace always leads to true transformation. Let me say that again. True grace always leads to true transformation. So true salvation always manifests itself in true obedience. That's just the reality we saw last week about Bad trees bear bad fruit. 
to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I, I simply want to ask you, you've heard Jesus' words, now what will you do with them? The night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered around to have a meal with his disciples, and he, he took bread, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way, he took a cup of wine, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, and it's sealed by the shedding of my blood. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this wine, you're pronouncing Christ's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, our tradition um, is to break off a piece of bread and to dip it into the juice. There will be stations up front here that you can come to. Um, there's a gluten-free station to my left and your right. If you're not able to come forward to partake in the elements, um, we'll bring them to you. So just wave somebody down and we'll bring those elements to you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we ask that you not partake in this meal. Um, this meal is simply for those who are about the reality of Christ. Um, we're not trying to exclude you, um, but this is a, a family meal for those um, who are submitted to and shaped by Jesus' teaching. If you're interested in, in talking more about what it looks like to become a Christian, we'd love to talk with you, so come find me or, or one of our other leaders after the service, and we can talk more about that and even prepare you to take communion next week. Before we take communion, um, let me pray for us. Almighty God, give us grace to be not only hearers, but doers of your holy word. Not only to admire, but to obey your doctrine and your teaching. Not only to profess, but to practice your religion, the way of life that you've set before us. Not only to live, but to live your gospel. So grant, Lord God, that we learn of your glory you may have received into our hearts and show forth in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. He lived this reality. He, he lived a perfectly righteous life. And yet, when we think of somebody who was insulted, somebody who was persecuted, someone who had false accusations made against them, Jesus of Nazareth should be close to the top of that list. These are the very things that happened to him that led to his own death. And he says, come and follow me, which means the, the, a life centered on the Beatitudes, the virtue-oriented quest for happiness in Christ will often look cruciform. It will come to us in the shape of a cross. But we can bear these crosses because we know Christ has already bore His. He identifies with each of these states of being in the Beatitudes, and He shows us what our ultimate reward is, and that is resurrection, new life. We will become human. The perishable will be traded for the imperishable. And that is, that must be, at least in part, our motivation in the Christian life, finding our own happiness and reclaiming our own humanity. We don't pick up a cross just to do it. Some of you have lived a guilt-driven Christianity. That's why you're so angry and tired. Everything you live has been lived by what you shouldn't do or what you must do. And somehow, have you noticed that never makes you feel like you've done enough? That's not human to be driven by guilt and fear 
We don't pick up a cross just for the sake of picking it up. We do it to follow Jesus, and we do it like Jesus for the joy set before us. You've heard that passage before? Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. There's nothing wrong with saying, I want to be happy, and I'm going to pursue that, so long as you're willing to pursue it the way Jesus tells you to, which may look quite upside down. This is the good life, our journey of becoming our true selves in Christ, of finding happiness and peace amidst all of life's suffering and sorrow, of being a people filled with hope and joy. So we stoop low and we hold on just as Christ did. We come under the teaching of Christ. We follow Christ even when it seems upside down. And week after week, we come to celebrate the reason we can hope at all. Because yes, Jesus' life led to crucifixion, but that crucifixion led to resurrection. And that's what secured hope and life for all of us. So we come to remember the night he was betrayed, when he began this journey of enduring false accusations of being slandered. He gave thanks for the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. Remember what he's endured for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, take this and and drink it. This is my blood shed for you, which makes you safe with God, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this, remembering what I've done for you. This is our, our promise Christ's body broken, Christ's blood shed, so we know that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. If we're willing to follow him, we will get what is ours, the hope of resurrection, the promise of life eternal. Our tradition at Sojourn is to rip off a piece of bread, dip it in the wine or juice. Uh, Wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it, and there'll be gluten-free elements to your right. Uh, I'll pray for us, and then Christians, you can come uh, remember your hope together. Let's pray.